Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And I'm not going to do a very long message this morning. In fact, it's really short. And it's just the idea of embracing change. You know, we're we're all facing some some changes coming up in our, you know, in our politics and in life and people come and go out of jobs and Anytime there's there's change, you know, there's always a certain amount of of concern because we people don't know how things are going to go. But you know, I just I guess I'm just going to ask everyone in America to chill for a, a minute. Just let let these processes take their their course of action, and you know, just try to really embrace what's going on. You know, my favorite phrase, as you regular listeners know, is "stay in the light." So use this time to stay in the light, find things that bring you joy every day and do those things. So I just wanted to say that because it just feels like, you know, with the looming um, change in our leadership here in this country, there's just been so much to talk about. (laughs) And this is not a political show. I don't really want to go there with anybody, but I just want to encourage you to, you know, embrace the change that's coming, whatever it is, and um, and pray if you need to uh, about it that there's just no no harm done, but stay in the light in the process. So, with that, I have my one of my absolute favorite guests to introduce to you. I've had her on my show several times. She always has so much to contribute, and I just love her to pieces. And in fact, last time I think I think she said she wanted to be in my family, so I think she already is in my family. So, Ms. Kathy Lehman. <laughs> Kathy, thank you for for joining us today. Um, welcome. Thank you. I did. I asked if you would adopt me, and you said you would. So I'm going to. I think. You to I think. I, okay. I will. I'll just send you a paper or something. I got adopted okay. into my into my my uh, extended family years ago when I married my husband. His cousin Carolyn was really good about adopting certain members of the family into the like the blood related family so that we could just like always stay connected and oh. and I always felt very special about that. <laughs> she even yeah, gave me a certificate. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well thank great. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be back and I always love chatting with you. I I feel like we could talk for hours about the topics we get into. So well, thank you. I think we can and it what's really nice is, you know, for my listeners, I always ask my guests to give me some talking points. So when I ask them questions I can sound really intelligent in asking those questions and they can sound intelligent because they know what's coming at them. But um, in this with Kathy, it's like, just send me three questions I can ask you, you know, one for each segment. And, and it's just wonderful that she's just has so much to say that we can talk for the full hour on really just three talking points. But in this process, Kathy, of, of uh, reminding our listeners who you were, I didn't even introduce you, actually. Ah, <laughs> so. Right, that's true. You should probably do that. <laughs> okay, let me do that really quick, because for those of you who are new to the show, you don't know Kathy, and I want you to know who she is. So um, we are going to finish up part three of our message um, today to talk about emotional eating and you know why it's so prevalent among cancer survivors and and what we can do you know to overcome. So we started on on uh, November 11th was our first one, and I don't know when the second one was. Sometime in 
um, in December, late December, I believe, and then today is the third one. So we're going to get it done today. But um, I, let me go ahead and read this to you because it really tells a lot about who she is. So many cancer survivors struggle with weight gain. Kathy Lehman has been a guest on my show many times. She is a dietitian, nutrition therapist, and certified personal trainer who helps post-treatment survivors of hormonally driven breast cancer conquer fear of phytoestrogen foods, eat without stress and guilt, and confidently rebuild their health. She's also a breast cancer survivor and the founder of Rebuild, her transformative eight-week coaching program for post-treatment survivors, and the Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survivor Online Membership that supports survivors of hormonally driven breast cancer and using nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle habits to thrive. Today, we're going to finish our conversation, how to get off the roller coaster of emotional eating and I, I think we're going to get through them today. What do you think, Kathy? <laughs> you think we can do it? We're sure going to try. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I'm just really excited to have you back. So um, I'm going to ask you just one more time to remind us what are the five signs of emotional eating, because you, you know, we might think that we're that's not what we're doing, but you might be surprised when you see what the signs are. So if you can just rip through those really quickly, and then we can move on. Would that be yeah. all right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start. So, because okay. you're you're right. Often people are unsure whether some of the unhealthy eating behaviors they're engaging in would be considered eating emotionally, or they may not give it that name, or they may not even know what, that it has a name. They may just feel um, very frustrated that they find themselves in front of the refrigerator when dealing with strong emotions. So, the five ways to tell if you're eating emotionally are. Um, number one, stress eating or emotional eating comes at you suddenly. It's often as an urge to eat versus a feeling of true hunger. And true hunger comes on gradually as your body digests your last meal and metabolizes it and uses it for fuel in your body. Then you start to get hungry. It's when your blood sugar levels drop and there are other physiological indicators that remind you it's time to eat. But that's not happened. Stress eating is a sudden urge. Number two, stress eating or, and I, inter, I exchange stress eating and emotional eating. Stress is, an, you know, drives emotional eating so we can swap those out. But emotional eating sends you in search of a particular food to eat. And it's rarely a big pile of fruits and veggies, right? It's <laughs> usually something sugary, salty, fatty, high carb. And true hunger sends you searching for anything. I mean, even a piece of fruit, like a fresh apple, would satisfy your appetite and it would alleviate that sensation of hunger. Number three, emotional eating drives you to eat without thinking. As in, you know, you might look down at an empty ice cream carton or an empty chip bag, and but you don't really remember finishing it <laughs> like that. That's what that's about. Uh, I'm chuckling because I can relate. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Number four, emotional eating sends you careening from one generally unhealthy food to the next. And I say generally unhealthy because, again, remember if someone's emotionally eating, they're not thinking, hmm, I think I'm going to have some carrots and hummus. They're just looking for um, one thing that they start with and then they just head into the next food. And they eat large quantities of each without ever reaching that feeling of satisfaction. And then finally, stress eating weighs on your mind with feelings of shame and guilt and disgust or regret. 
And that's not how we feel when we finish eating because it's time for lunch and we're hungry. We usually right. feel full and satisfied and grateful that we actually could have a meal. So you can see there's some very large, strong, clear distinctions between emotional eating and eating for true physiological health. I so get that. And, you know, sometimes I think that the one I'm thinking about searching for a particular type of food, that happens to me sometimes when I'm watching a commercial, you know, I'm watching television and a commercial comes on and there it's for something that's, you know, relatively unhealthy, but, but it plants a picture in my head. Ooh, ice cream. Ooh, I wonder if we have any. And you go searching for it. You weren't even thinking about ice cream, you know, two minutes ago, but now suddenly you have to have ice cream. So I, I get, I get how that can happen. And if you don't learn reasons or ways to control that, it can, it can get out of hand. Um, you know, so many of us deal with with stress in different ways, but if one of your ways of dealing with it is the food thing, and for a cancer patient, I think it's really common because there's so many things that we're dealing with in our heads, you know, like, are we going to survive this, and when's my next treatment, and when, wonder what that's going to be like, and there's just so many things that can kind of lead us down that path, and, and with that thought in mind, Kathy, how how you know as a survivor how does emotional eating really impact my physical health you know and i say my because i i can't really respond to your physical health i know what mine is is like at times and i'm sure our audience can relate to that so how does impact what is the impact of emotional eating on on a cancer survivor's physical health sure so obviously it's going to vary from person to person. And anytime I work with someone one-on-one, we do a very individualized approach to whatever their particular specific challenges are. But in general, these are the things that we see um, regularly. So if someone's eating emotionally, that tends to mean they're eating over and above the calories their body needs to function. And over and above the calories that they are burning off through activity and over and above the calories that essentially their body needs just to, you know, to make your, help your brain work and your heart beat and your lungs function and your blood pressure stay, stay stable. All of those are processes in your body that require fuel, but they don't need unlimited sources of fuel in terms of food. So sometimes what can happen often actually is weight gain. And the, the issue with weight gain, we could do a whole talk just on weight gain or a whole call just on weight gain, but um, because I know it's fraught with so much emotion and so many, you know, it's just a whole conversation in its own. But for, in this particular case, weight gain, we do know in the research that it's associated with increased risk of recurrence. And um, so that in and of itself is often something that is, I mean, all of the cancer survivors that I work with, the breast cancer survivors, reducing their risk of recurrence in any way that they can uh, by taking care of themselves is one of their number one goals. Obviously, there's no guarantee that we can make that happen. But if you are doing things intentionally that are positive to help reduce that risk, that feels very empowering. So weight gain, which is associated with increased risk of recurrence, uh, joint health, 
you know, that's physical health is if your joints hurt from maybe you're taking aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen, whatever your adjuvant medication is that you may be taking after you finish active treatment, you, you may have joint issues from that. And on top of that, if you're carrying extra weight, your joints bear the brunt of that. So that in turn leads to a decrease in physical activity. And we also know that inactivity, can we can chalk that up on that side of may increase the risk of recurrence as well. Um, it can also, in, weight gain can also increase inflammation. It can also increase estrogen levels. You know, your body produces estrogen differently premenopausally versus postmenopausally. And in premenopausal women, our ovaries produce the estrogen. And in postmenopause, um, it's typical, estrogen is primarily um, synthesized in adipose tissue, which is fat tissue. Mm -hmm. So that's a concern because obviously we've had hormonally driven breast cancer. We want to work to keep the estrogen levels lower. Um, It can also impact your blood sugar. So particularly if you're someone who has diabetes or you have prediabetes, you really want to manage your blood sugar. And if you are emotional eating, which often looks similar to binge eating, it could be same or in that same um, category, that, that increases your blood sugar. It increases your insulin level to try to clear the blood sugar. So that doesn't help stabilize blood sugar. And uh, it may also impact blood pressure. So if you're munching uncontrollably and consistently on high-sodium foods, you know, we know that high-sodium is um, connected or correlated to high blood pressure. So if you're taking medication for high blood pressure and you are dousing your your body's cells at the cellular level with lots of sodium you know that that could have an impact so those are just a few of of, i think the the most um common obviously there are more but for the sake of time i thought we'd focus on those okay well thank you um so i'm going to ask you a question that i didn't really think about until just now but um what happens you know, when we're, you know, you don't always want to think the, the things you're doing are based or because of emo- emotional eating. But if you're not hungry, I mean, if nothing sounds good, you know, you don't want to eat anything, nothing really sounds good. And then you get this urge for something and you eat it because it's better than eating nothing. I mean, you need to you need to have something in your body. But is it better to eat that food that you know is not good for you? than to eat nothing, you know, for cancer survivors. I mean, from a physical perspective, we need, we need calories, we need energy. Um, but where do you draw the line between maybe you don't feel like eating actual real food, but then you get a craving for a Tootsie Roll. <laughs> That's my, one of my weak, weak points is Tootsie Rolls. I like them. Um, <laughs> but what, what is that about? What's going on there when that happens? Well, I, so just from what I'm hearing you say, Becky, is there are, to me, that was a, a few different scenarios. There okay. is, if maybe you're a survivor who's living with metastatic breast cancer and you're mm-hmm. still in ongoing treatment for, yes. you know, your treatment doesn't end. And so there's, there's that person. Then there's someone who is a survivor in survivorship and, outside of having finished treatment for cancer a year, six months, whenever ago, you're post-treatment. Um, maybe you're taking aromatase inhibitors and, or tamoxifen. Maybe you're finished with those and you're further along in your survivorship. But outside of that, there's nothing medically going on. You're just 
living your life as a survivor. Um, so it sounds like those are two different people I heard you describe. Would that mm-hmm. be Okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm it, certainly well, I'm certainly one of those people. I, right. I I have metastatic, and I will be you know battling with this the rest of my life. And exactly. so I, I, I'm thinking that probably some emotional, you know, things going on in my head may be part of that. You know, what's going on there? And um, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe not. I'm not sure. So yeah. I know we're going to talk more about that in the second segment. So you yeah, know, we can but, hold on to that thought, but. Yeah. So, but to answer your question, so if we're looking at someone who is managing, like you said, such as yourself, who's managing lifelong treatment for cancer, you're still taking medications that absolutely, they may make you feel nauseous. They may make you constipated. They may make you just not feel, I mean, so many different things. And you may feel nothing. It's different for everyone. Um, And if you're eating food to quiet nausea or to calm your you know an upset stomach and a handful of saltines and some ginger ale or something like that makes you feel better there's nothing wrong with that that's not emotional eating that's it managing a medical issue or condition with food the difference would be is if you sit down and say oh i just need a couple crackers and some ginger ale or whatever to take the edge off and you but you eat the entire box of saltines that's more on the emotion because you're pissed up oh can I curse sorry you're upset about not, your not very not very many times no <laughs> all right you're I won't do it again it just slipped up um you're you're, you're upset okay. about your treatment and the fact that you even have to be doing this and you take that out on the box of crackers that's the difference there between managing okay. this physical issue and emotional if someone's just a healthy survivor um but they find themselves eating uncontrollably or eating when they're not hungry most often that's a, an indication to look at what's going on, is what's driving this eating when you're not truly physiologically hungry, which doesn't mean, it's not to say you should never eat unless you're actually truly hungry. That's, that's not true at all. But if more often than not, you find yourself you know, in front of the pantry or the refrigerator eating with absolutely no hunger, but feelings of stress and emotion, that's more likely to be something that would come under that emotional eating category. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. Um, you know, and we're actually going to take a break right now, so this is probably a good place to do it. And when we come back in, we are going to talk uh, more about the kind of the what's going on in our heads when when this is happening. And I do appreciate and value very much what you said about controlling, you know, the feeling, the um, um, the physical feelings, you know, the nausea and all that, because I know that sometimes is the case. If it just don't feel like eating actual food, nothing sounds good except a Tootsie Roll. Right. <laughs> so, right. Anyway, so let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in a minute, so stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. And before we get back into our show, I just want to remind you of some of the different ways that you can help promote this program. First off, if you have a friend or family member in your life who is struggling with this issue right now, send them the link to this show. You know, it's just really a a good show and they don't have to know that it's about something that you're concerned about for them. Um, Just send them and say, hey, this is a really great podcast. And, you know, here's one example and there's others. So just, you know, invite people to join. Um, You can also support the program financially by texting uh, the word BF Radio stands for Breast Friends Radio to 41444. That opens up a text box and then you can make a donation online. You can join our um, online family at Breast, our Breast Friends Around the Globe. It's a Facebook group page where you can go in and make comments. And, and I post, I usually post right after the show the, the, uh, Link so people can listen to it and you know find out what they missed and then comment on it. Introduce yourself to the group. Let us know who you are. And we actually have listeners from all over the globe, which is very exciting. And then finally, nominate yourself as a guest um, by writing to me, Becky, at breastfriends.org. Let me know what your subject matter might be and who you would um, be kind of speaking to with your message. And then let's see if it's an appropriate fit and plug you into the program. So, um, so Kathy, thank you for joining me today. And well, let's kind of pick up where we left off. Um, I, we were talking about, and you were an- very beautifully answering my question about, um, you know, how do we know if it's something that we're, when we, when we see ourselves doing these behaviors, how do we know if it's we're just treating a condition that we have? Because sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes I look at food and I go, oh, it just sounds so awful, but I know I need to eat something. And so then I eat the wrong thing sometimes because it's just on my mind. Um, but sometimes it is me blocking out some condition, some feeling of nausea or whatever that I'm feeling. And um, so I really appreciated you sharing that with me. And I know it's, you know, kind of, we can get these things in our head sometimes and then read the, read the indications wrong, come up with the wrong, you know, process, I guess. I'm, I'm muttering now, so I'll stop. Anyway, <laughs> so let's talk about the psychology and physiology of eating food um, and our diet, you know, what... Um, and treatment weight gain. There's so, there's so many areas that you know impact cancer survivors. So let's talk about the the psychology and physiology of 
the foods that we eat and why we choose what we choose. Yeah. So the emotional eating impact on breast cancer survivors' mental health is, I, I mm-hmm. think, you're yes. um, focusing on. And so, yes. you know, there's the, we just spoke about the physical health, which is, I think, what most people focus on because it's visible to us. You know if you're gaining weight. You know if you go see your doctor and you have lab values that are out of uh, the normal range, your blood sugar is high, your blood pressure is high, your heart rate's high, whatever that may be. So we can wrap our mind around that as something very concrete. But the mental health side of emotional eating or any other disordered eating behavior for that matter um, is really, you can't see it, but it is strong and present and powerful in how it impacts our behavior and the way we feel about ourselves and our overall mental health. In fact, um, I've listed three, seven, seven ways that emotional eating can negatively impact mental health. And the first one is shame. There's a lot of shame involved with um, breast cancer survivors who are trying to do the best they can to take care of themselves. And when I say take care of themselves, I mean anything that is a lifestyle behavior uh, that supports their wellness and well-being. So that's nutrition, that's diet, that's food, that's exercise, it's sleep, it's stress management, it's self-care practices. And if they're not being um, feeling able to, to do those things that they know help them feel better, help them be there for their family, and also, again, back to potentially can help reduce risk of recurrence, there's a lot of shame and frustration there. Uh, number two you know, emotional eating has a very strong negative impact on self-esteem. And when your self-esteem is lowered or negative, that translates to being less able to practice self-care. If you don't really care about yourself, you're not going to engage in self-care as a priority. It's something that you have to do. Like, okay, I haven't showered for three days. Maybe I'll shower, <laughs> which is particularly important, you know, with COVID. People are, you know, yes. can be a little lax with your hygiene <laughs> if you feel like it. Um, but that's self-care. And that self-care translates to the food you put in your body, the amount of exercise you get, how much sleep you get. So again, if your self-esteem is low and you don't feel worthy of taking care of yourself, you don't. Um, And then that spirals into some of those physical health issues. Uh, Number four, emotional eating, it's interesting, it's closely aligned with depression. So the the question is, does emotional eating drive depression or does depression drive emotional eating? I I think they kind of hang out together. In my experience, what I see with my clients is there's usually some depression, some OCD, some anxiety um, that come alongside with emotional eating. So again, when you're feeling um, a sense of depression, you're not really interested in taking care of yourself. You're just interested in getting through the day. And so that then leads to this dropping these self-care habits that lead to optimal physical health and mental health, by the way. Um, The next one is anxiety, as I mentioned that. You know, emotional eating, let's say someone is just naturally an anxious person and they eat to manage their anxiety, but that heightens their anxiety because then they get anxious about what they're eating. <laughs> like, well, I'm not, I shouldn't be eating this food because this, this is a food that'll make my cancer come back. But so that anxiety, it just kind of gets into a negative spiral, which can then lead us to the next thing, which is negative self-talk or negative mindset. 
you know, when you're, again, it kind of all keeps feeding back to the same place. If you're not feeling good about yourself, you don't walk around with a mindset that is positive and thriving and I'm ready for the day and let me take care of myself. It's just more like, let me get through the day and hopefully not spend most of it eating in the pantry. I mean, they're really, <laughs> I do work with people who have that much of a challenge. Um, and then the final one that I think most people don't even realize is impaired brain function. And let me tell you about that. You know, your body is, this is such a tired and basic example, but I love it because if people get it. It's like a car. You know, you want to put optimal fuel in your car it or it doesn't run. Same with your body. Your body will run with suboptimal food, but not at its optimal ability. So when you are putting junky, crappy food in your body consistently, there's nothing wrong with eating junk food. Please don't get me wrong about that. But if that's what you are really, you know, the bulk of your diet is because you're stuck in this emotional eating place, you can dysregulate insulin levels, which then impacts blood sugar, which can then increase inflammation which can increase oxidative stress. And um, food that's not nutritionally good for you, junkier food, really can negatively impact your brain and which can translate to mood disorders like depression. There's a whole arm of nutrition called nutritional psychiatry, which I'm fascinated about. Um, And it's similar, you know, as, as your gut, healthy gut microbiome, healthy brain, all of those things work in concert to keep you mentally healthy and physically healthy. So impaired brain function, you know, women who have chemo brain, brain fog, I'm always Mm -hmm. curious about, okay, yes, we know that that definitely is an issue from chemo, but is it also, is it exacerbated by poor dietary habits? It could be. I mean, I don't know. I've not seen research, specific research on that, but, you know, if you're feeling not great and you are, making yourself feel better with foods that are not optimal for your nutrition, that stands to reason. And we do know the standard American diet, which is not a paragon of health, (laughs) can um, be um, connected to memory issues, memory loss, um, perhaps Alzheimer's, um, just not optimal in children. It can can translate to behavioral issues and ADHD. I'll, you know, be aligned with that. It doesn't cause that. But it's really interesting, that connection. So I don't think that most people realize that connection is there. So the bottom line is if you want to function optimally at a physical and mental level as a survivor, whether you are in long-term treatment, and you are a survivor, Becky, you are surviving, you're still That's in long-term true. treatment, Mm-hmm. And you want to, or you're not doing treatment, you're you know, surviving your post-treatment. You want to optimally just fire on all cylinders, as I say, you mm-hmm. know, paying attention to your nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, and your lifestyle habits. Really, that's, that's the secret. And they really can just get very um, misused as a result of being driven by these emotional issues that go on. You know, I, I so can see that because it's, you know, it's it's a cycle. You know, you talked about when you're doing it, you know, when you're eating the wrong things and you're doing it, you know, for the wrong reasons. And, you know, the idea of shame or how it lowers your self-esteem, then those things, you know, work into, you know, potential depression, which then leads to more of the same behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's just a vicious cycle that can just go on 
and on. And I guess one of the things that I'd like to know is how do we how do we break that cycle? What is it what does it take to break the cycle when when maybe you're at this point in your care or recovery where maybe you just don't care and it's it's not because mm-hmm. you really don't care it's because you're depressed or you're you know feeling kind of emotionally drained um how do we break that cycle so we can pull ourselves out of that place and yeah. i know I, sp- I speak for many cancer survivors because there's you know this, this this is a scary word it's like the time the first time you go in and hear you have cancer it's almost like everything said after that disappears that's that's why we always recommend that if you can take somebody with you for that conversation because you need someone to take notes and tell you what the doctor said afterwards because you don't hear anything else you know you just kind of tune it out the first thing you think of is okay I'm going to die from this well you know, for those of you listening, I've been battling this off and on since 1996, and I'm still here, and I'm still doing a radio show. So, you know, it's it's not, it's generally, you know, it's kind of a slow, a slow process. And, but how do we, how do we break that cycle? I know that was a mouthful of a question here, but, but that's my bottom line question. How do we, how do we break that cycle so we can start moving toward you know, better, better health and better processes for dealing with all of this. Yeah. Is that something you were prepared to answer for me? (laughs) I can answer that. No problem. I I had no doubt. (laughs) Well, the first, but you give me such great questions and there's not just a quick and dirty answer. So, you know, we have to live with that because that's That's you ask great questions that are multi-layered. And so they require and demand actually a multi-layered response. So the first thing I would say is if someone is truly, suffering from depression, anxiety, OCD, those are serious psychiatric um, issues that need, demand, as I said about your question, uh, the help of a professional. I am not a psychotherapist, nor am I a psychiatrist. I am a nutrition therapist. I have a master's degree in health psychology. So I understand how all of this fits together. But that makes me really good at helping people get so far. And then there can also be then the space where we need to bring in a professional psychotherapist, psychologist, someone preferably who um, is trained and specializes in working with food issues, eating disorders, disordered eating food and emotion, rather than a professional who works strictly with depression or anxiety or OCD. And I say that as a differentiator because I work with a lot of therapists in tandem with the clients that I work with because we can coordinate care and we get better outcomes. That person can then deal with the psychological issues uh, that is in their wheelhouse and then I can take care of all of the food and emotion side of things. So we kind of work it out to our strengths to get Mm -hmm. someone back on the road to recovery. So having said that, we all, women are, I believe the statistic is eight times more likely than men to suffer from a depressive episode in their lifetime. And I would say with breast cancer, we, that could even increase that number. But, you know, everyone suffers days where they are just not feeling great. They're, you know, they're either it's a situational depression You mentioned the state of the world right now Um, here in the States. There's a lot going on that can definitely be impacting people coupled with COVID, coupled with winter. Um, You know, I'm in the Chicago area, a lot of snow, it's cold. 
So all of those things combined could be a situational depression, could be heightening anxiety. Um, And that's natural. That doesn't mean that you suffer from severe chronic depression where you may need, you know, extended work with a therapist. But just be aware that there are days when you're not feeling optimally um, your best psychologically. And then we make decisions about food and self-care that are just a little bit off center on those days. And that's okay. This is not about being perfect. This is not about the virtues of broccoli over um, (laughs) potato chips. It's not about that because food is neutral. It's really what we make it mean. So is is broccoli more nutritious for us than potato chips? Of course it is. Everyone knows that. But that doesn't mean that it's a better choice all the time. Some days potato chips are the best thing you can eat, particularly with a peanut butter sandwich. And that's not a crime, nor the end of the world. What I'm talking about is really extended challenges with food, um, where you just more often than not, you find yourself actually engaging in behaviors that are unhealthy with food, and your mind, what's in your head, is just this loop, non-relenting loop of shame and disgust, and I shouldn't have done that, and regret, and oh, I should eat these, I shouldn't eat that, so... All of that being said, the best help you can get is to work with someone who specializes in um, helping people get through these issues. But one of the very first things you can do is just take stock of what's going on. You know, if you find yourself, again, in front of the pantry or the refrigerator eating, you know, emotionally more often than not, and you notice it, maybe take a day and write down everything you're eating. Not as a judgment, but just out of curiosity to just say, well, let me look at this. Oh, okay. The junky food column has more check marks in it than a healthier food column. Maybe this is an issue. So awareness is the first place. And then implementing um, tools such as, you know, asking yourself, are you truly hungry? Would you eat an apple in that moment? If you say no, then you know you're not truly hungry. And then asking yourself a follow-up question: Well, what's really going on here? You know, yeah, what am I? What am I thinking about? Mm-hmm. What What drove me to, to yeah. doing this? Yeah, yes, that makes that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, awareness is always the first part of the answer, isn't it? Just mm-hmm. even yeah. being aware that there's a problem. Because if you don't, if you're not aware, then you don't think you have one. So nothing right. to fix. But right. Yeah, so that that makes sense. Okay, we're going to go ahead and take our second break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about breast cancer diets that harm and not heal. Because there are a lot of us, you know, in this that are, you know, battling this. Everybody's got their preferred list of, you know, what what's good for you, what's not good for you. But there are some breast cancer diets that probably aren't as good as others. So is that something you can talk about when we come back? Sure. Okay, cool. All right, stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women. But women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our show. We've been talking with Kathy Lehman about emotional eating and kind of overcoming that Problem. So, um, but before the break, I asked Kathy if we could talk about breast cancer diets that harm, not heal. And I'm really hoping that we can have that conversation. So, what have you got to share with us on that? Sure. So, that's a blog post that I wrote, and it's been very, very popular because it strikes a chord for my readers in a way that they're like, wow, I never thought about it that way. When you think about a breast cancer diet, you think people are going to give you a list of here are the foods you should eat, these are the foods you should avoid, this is how you should prepare them, and this is how much you should have of all them. And where I was going with that fits beautifully with our conversation about emotional eating and disordered eating behaviors because the three types of diets that harm are number one, and I won't say the, the bad word, but it's the FU diet. And that's how I write it in my blog, the FU diet. And the reason that's harmful is because what that is is Someone says, it doesn't matter what I eat, I got breast cancer, and I thought I ate really well. I've, you know, I've eaten really well my, life, my whole life, I've exercised my whole life, and it, clearly it didn't matter. So I just, you know, F the whole diet, F paying attention, I'm not even going to focus on that, I'm going to do whatever I want. And the reason that's harmful is because that's true. You can eat the healthiest diet and still be diagnosed with breast cancer, But I would ask, did you eat a healthy diet, this perfectionistic diet that people tend to think they eat for your entire life? Probably not when you were a teenager, probably not when you were in college. Um, You know, have you ever gone a day, you know, where you have you ever not eaten any fast food or junky food or food that we would list as less nutritious? Probably not. Most people (laughs) have had some of that. So no one eats a perfect diet their entire life. And secondly, We do have research that shows the impact, positive impact of good nutrition and a healthy, balanced, you know, healthy, balanced. People can take that a million different ways. But I say that just as a general um, overview uh, of a diet that can help um, improve outcomes from treatment, can help potentially reduce risk and overall just keep you healthier. I mean, the goal of survivorship is to be as healthy as you can be in all systems, healthy hearts healthy lungs, healthy brains, healthy muscles. So if you eat for health, yes, it can impact your breast cancer risk and it can also impact your overall health. So that's the FU diet and that's why it could be harmful. So 
I would ask people to find a middle ground <laughs> rather than abandoning <laughs> their efforts of nutrition or going all the way over, which is what the second diet is. It's called the perfection diet. And this is where there is no organic food that is organic enough. Nothing is perfect enough. There is no food that is clean enough, um, sustainable enough, local enough for someone to eat and feel comfortable. It impacts their ability to eat out at restaurants, eat, well, when we can do that again, eat at friends, home to You have to be in charge of your food so you know every single ingredient is, um, you know, grass-fed, organic, farm-raised, no sugar, all those check boxes that if you look at the extreme types of dieting that is advocated in some circles, um, you want to make sure you check all those boxes. And that's actually something called orthorexia. And that is a true term for someone who it's where healthy eating goes off the rails. You know, healthy eating just becomes too extreme. And so the problem with that is you are what I call white knuckle in your nutrition. You just, you're actually terrified to eat and let anything outside of this box that you've created that has just all of your uh, sanctioned foods that you can eat. All right. So eating too perfectionistically or trying to is just as harmful as eating on the FU side of things where you don't care. So again, we're looking for that middle ground. And yeah, that, third, that makes sense. That, that makes really sense. makes sense. Yeah, because when you're when we get out of this COVID thing that we're in right now, and we can go back to having dinner with our friends, you might be a very unpopular guest if you right. if you are that hard to please. You know, it has to be grass fed this and that, and it can't. You know, I mean, just asking all those questions. But I know that there are people who really um, are proud of of all of that. And, you know, I, I guess I can see that, but I also can see how it would be a very hard guest to please at your home. So, so we do, we do need to learn to live within certain, you know, acceptable boundaries, things that we can accept. And, you know, um, I, I'm sure that that there's some merit in that. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry yeah. about that. I digress. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And then the third one is um, supplements as food. And this is where someone says, you know, I don't really trust food, but I will spend untold thousands of dollars on supplements that are purported to keep my cancer away. So, you know, whether it's a a type of a mushroom powder or a, a lotion or a potion or I don't know, whatever, there are so many out there that are touted as being the answer to curing cancer or Um, preventing it from returning and we know that it's not true there is a place for supplementation but that's why they're called supplements they supplement a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle they they aren't the answer to those things if if they're missing you can eat the junkiest diet in the world and not supplement your way out of that so um but sometimes it's easier to place when we're feeling very vulnerable as breast cancer survivors and i find this particularly when someone's been newly diagnosed um you know, you're very vulnerable to those, um, the, you know, what you see on the internet or commercials or in mm-hmm. magazines or wherever where people are pushing supplements that have this quote-unquote guarantee to prevent your cancer. You'll take all of them. And that's, again, not a healthy approach either. So you those know, are and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a testimony to people that, I mean, I've seen people with the best of intentions, truly best of intentions, write me and tell me, well, you know, if you just did this, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, your cancer wouldn't come back. Or, you know, if you did that, 
you know, this must be something you brought on yourself because you eat that, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, oh. we, hear thing, we hear things like that. And so yeah. to our listeners, when you hear somebody say things like that, I guess I just want to say understand that they have your best intentions at heart, but they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. So, you know, thank them for their for their concern and then don't pay attention to the outcome of that because, you know, there may be some truth in what they're saying, but there's also probably a lot of not truth in what they're saying. So don't be, don't believe everything you hear, read or see, you know, on the internet or through email or whatever because it just you know, again, everybody has the best of intentions, but it just isn't always, you know, accurate. And so don't be afraid to investigate on your own, too. Um, well, that's true. And, you know, Becky, I always remind people, if there were a particular supplement or a particular food or drink that mm-hmm. would cure cancer or mm-hmm. definitively prevent it from coming back, A, we wouldn't have the levels of cancer that we have in this country, and B, everyone would be taking it. And see, I would be at the front of the line telling people about it because uh, yeah. I would like to have something like that. Absolutely. If I could eat something or take something that assured me without question that my breast cancer would never, ever, ever return, uh, sign me up. We don't have that. It doesn't exist. So That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've talked, you've mentioned the phrase disordered eating a couple of times during this um, this conversation today. So why don't you explain to our listeners what do you mean by disordered eating and how what's its impact within the breast cancer community? Oh, sure, sure. So um, there, eating disorders are full-blown is the opposite, not opposite. It's another category. So an eating disorder is something that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, orthorexia. Um, and these are psychological disorders with a food component. There are diagnosis codes for those. There are treatment protocols for those. Disordered eating is not quite a full-blown eating disorder, but it has eating disorder tendencies. So whether it is emotional eating, whether it's restrictive eating, whether it's orthorexia. I mention orthorexia in both camps because orthorexia is not recognized by um the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that's used in the world of psychology, but it is known as a type of, of eating disorder slash disordered eating. Um, so there, or there are just, um, even the three that I just mentioned, you know, the extreme eating of perfectionism, which is an orthorexia category. Um, and there are so many ways to, I've, I've done this work for over 20 years, and there are so many ways I can see that I've seen people use and abuse food to manage their world to cope with life and those are disordered eating behaviors and emotional eating falls under that emotional eating is not anorexia it's not bulimia it's not binge eating disorder but it has some of those tendencies and it's important to talk about this disordered eating and even full-blown eating disorders i'm sure those exist in the breast cancer community is because it's more common than most people realize but due to shame and the focus on weight loss and other survivor issues like what to eat, what to avoid. You know, I feel like the the nutritional survivor issues that most survivors are looking, not most, I shouldn't say most, but many survivors are looking for, I don't rarely, I don't often see it talked about in connection to unhealthy behaviors with food. It's Mm -hmm. when I see that um, in an exchange online or when I have a new client who shares with me, okay, these are my challenges with food. And by the way, when I was a teenager, I was treated for bulimia. I mean, those are, if you've 
if you've gotten an eating disorder under control, later in life, a trauma such as breast cancer diagnosis can reignite it. And so those behaviors may be gone, but the voices and the commentary and the conversation still happens in your head. So it can resurface. So those things aren't discussed and they need to be because then we can normalize this. So there's no need to suffer in silence and shame. And and also, I feel like if we can connect this behavior to survivor outcomes, like saying, hey, once we get a handle on these things, look at how you can improve your mental and physical health overall as a survivor, that may help encourage some women to seek help and the behavior change that would benefit, you know, the shifting from this unhealthy relationship with food and their body, I would say as well, into a healthier place. I, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, we're, we're pretty much out of time because I want to make sure I tell them what's, what we're doing together here shortly. But, yeah. um, but you know, last week we had, a, we had two guests on from a, a company called Two Unstoppable, and it was about the importance of exercise and how they both used exercise to get through their cancer journeys. So we don't have a lot of time. In fact, we don't have any time to talk about that. So I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to that one because you heard Kathy discuss you know, exercise as part of the process. And I know that when we do our own exercise and we, you know, make that, that's a step toward an improvement. And I think for depression, I think that might help a person kind of move away, move away from that. So, so Kathy, I want to thank you so much for being um, a guest on my show again. In fact, she's such an easy guest to have. I really, I like to call on her. So we're going to have a two-part series coming up on how to make food fearless or how to make fearless food decisions, conquer cravings and eat foods that you love without stress and guilt. And Kathy has a website. It's Kathy Lehman and it's Kathy with a C and last name is L-E-M-A-N.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at hormone.breastcancer.dietitian. And I wish I was smarter about Instagram, but I sadly am not. <laughs> so, uh, but, I, but I also want to let you know, and Kathy, thank you for all of these episodes that you've done with me are available on, our, on many, many podcasts around the country. And recently, one of the partners that we partnered with has added us to Spotify and Pandora, and we've been on iHeart for some time as well. So um, you can find Breast Friends um, podcast on pretty much any podcast platform that's out there. And we want to thank Voice America for helping us make that happen. So with that, we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.